Welcome to Relapped, the podcast racing you through F1 history. I'm your host, Deanna, and I'm so excited to finally be bringing you episode one. If you missed the introduction, some background about what we're doing here. I'm starting with the 1978 F1 season solely because it was the first full season of races I could find and watching every single race through to present day. And here on the show, we're going to do some recaps, break them down, and give you any of the background and storylines, anything that you need to know. So the importance of today's episode is we're going to get you up to speed with all of the major drivers and teams and how they got to where they are going into the season. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, I'm going to start with the biggest and most important teams going into the season. And as you may or may not know, F1 is a very dramatic and political sport behind the scenes. So going into the season, what was making the biggest headlines were driver changes. And the highest profile of them all came from our first team, Brabham. This is going to be one of the major three teams going into the season. They are owned by Bernie Ecclestone, who's welcoming a new driver to the team this year who just so happens to be the 1977 world champion driver, formerly for Ferrari, Nicky Lauda. This is one of the most recognizable names in the entire history of F1. If you've seen Drive to Survive, if you've seen Rush, I'm willing to bet you've heard the name Nicky Lauda. And one of the most notorious moments of his career was in 1976 when he nearly died in a fiery crash at the Nürburgring in Germany. And after suffering from some horrific burns, he returned only six weeks later, and he was still leading the championship going into the final race in Japan when torrential rain covered the track. And this was nearly identical to the conditions at the race in Germany where he almost lost his life. But he started the race, only did one lap, and pulled into the pits saying it wasn't worth the risk. And because of that, he would lose the championship by one point to McLaren's James Hunt. Following his retirement from the race in Japan, the relationship with Ferrari began to fracture. Enzo Ferrari no longer believed that Lauda had the mental edge it took to be a racing driver. So instead, for the 77 season, offered him a team manager role. But what Enzo failed to remember, and what Nicky promptly reminded him of, was that he had already signed a contract for the season. So Enzo reluctantly honored the contract, but made sure he knew he'd be second driver for the season. But despite his teammate getting all of the favorable parts and all of the favorable treatment, Lauda still handily beat him to the world title in 1977. Now sick of Ferrari's politics, he signed a contract mid-season with Brabham and even was able to walk out of Ferrari with two races left to the season. Getting his Brabham contract wasn't without drama either. This was a guy that had been told before by a personal sponsor after his crash that they were only going to pay half of his sponsorship money because he only had half of his face. So he's been in difficult negotiations before and was not going to stand down to 5-3 Bernie. Now, Lauda's negotiations with Brabham began mid-season 
when he asked Bernie for a $2 million salary and Bernie said, absolutely no way. However, he still wanted Lauda to drive, so he took him to a meeting with a potential new sponsorship, an Italian dairy company called Pomelat. At this meeting, Pomelat was only going to give Brabham the money if Lauda was driving. Lauda was only going to drive if he got his salary. And this left Bernie with no choice but to give Lauda the $2 million he wanted or be left with no driver or sponsorship. With that contract finalized for the amount Lauda wanted, Bernie was set to go with two drivers, Nicky Lauda, and returning for his second consecutive year, John Watson. For Watson, there's not too much to note here. He did have quite a bit of bad luck in 77. He only finished five full races and true to form for the season, was on his way to win the French GP until a mechanical issue cost him the lead on the last lap. He has some things to prove going into 78. And that wraps up Bernie Ecclestone's Brabham with his two drivers, Nicky Lauda and John Watson. Our next major team, now down a driver, is Ferrari. Owned by the old man himself, Enzo Ferrari. His first driver is returning driver and now de facto number one, Carlos Reutemann. Reutemann came to Ferrari at the end of the 76 season to replace Lauda after his crash, but only got one chance to drive when Lauda came back much sooner than expected. In the following season, while Lauda had one foot out the door and Reutemann was getting all the favorable treatment, he was still only able to pull fourth in the championship to his teammates first. But with Lauda now signed to Brabham, Enzo had one more seat to fill and in his place went young rookie Gilles Villeneuve. Reutemann's teammate this year wouldn't pose quite the threat that two-time world champion Lauda did. Only in his first full season of F1, Villeneuve had three race starts in 77, the last of two coming in the final two races of the season, replacing Lauda when he walked out of the team. However, in only his second race for Ferrari and in the final race of the 77 season, Villeneuve ran into the back of another driver, sending his car into a barrel roll into the stands and tragically killed a marshal and a spectator and injured 10 more. Unfortunately, accidents like this were a lot more commonplace back then and amidst all of the wreckage, that race kept going. So, so far for Ferrari, we have drivers Carlos Reutemann and Gilles Villeneuve. And for Brabham, we have Nicky Lauda and John Watson. So that brings us to the last of the front-running teams, Lotus. Owned by Colin Chapman, Lotus was a team that was dominant in the early 70s, but had a couple bad years and were finally back on the rise. Their first driver is Ronnie Peterson. Now, Peterson had driven for Lotus from 73 to 75, but had a bad year and left for a new team, March, and had a bad year and left for a new team, Tyrrell, and had a bad year and now left to come back to Lotus. And this was a guy that had finished second and third overall in the past and absolutely desperate for a competitive car came back knowing he was going to be taking a back seat to his teammate for the 78 season, Mario Andretti. 
Andretti in his third season for Lotus, he had a strong year in 77. He came in third overall and was a talented guy across multiple series. He won the IndyCar title three times and was the youngest to do so at that time back in 1965. Now he's looking to follow up the North American success with a Formula One world title. To recap, Lotus has Ronnie Peterson and Mario Andretti. Ferrari has Reutemann and Villeneuve and Lauda and Watson are driving for Bradham. That concludes our front running teams for 78. Moving on to the midfield, our next team is Tyrrell. And this is a long way off and a lot's going to happen, but this is actually the team that evolves into what we know today as Mercedes. But back then, owned by Ken Tyrrell, left with an open seat to fill after Peterson left for Lotus, he took on rookie Didier Peroni. Peroni had been backed by Elf in his junior career, and Elf being the title sponsor for Tyrrell made it an easy decision for both Peroni and the team. However, his teammate was far from being a rookie, and in his sixth season for Tyrrell was Patrick Depaye. This was a guy that was well-liked across the paddock, was one that lived in the moment, was carefree and somewhat reckless. Hunt of McLaren said of him, I've no doubt he has a death wish. Very pleasant bloke, but I always thought he was barking mad. He rode motorbikes without helmets and was always looking for the risk in everything. Early in his career, he was offered a drive with Tyrrell, which was a major opportunity for him to move full-time into F1. But only 10 days before that race, he broke his leg falling off a motorbike. When Ken Tyrrell finally signed him full-time, he had it written into his contract that he had to stay away from quote-unquote dangerous toys. And if he manages to stay out of danger, the Tyrrell team for 78 will be Didier Peroni and Patrick Depaye. Moving on to our next midfield team, McLaren. The team run by Teddy Mayer, and I know I've talked about Lauda being champion in 77, but McLaren's first driver is the 76 champion, James Hunt. Hunt was the bad boy of F1. He was good looking, he was a womanizer, and Mario Andretti once said, he's world champion, right? The problem is he thinks he's the king of the goddamn world as well. His 77 season wasn't very successful on the driving front, but it was definitely eventful. At the race in Canada, he was battling Lotus's Andretti for the lead, and the pair were so far ahead of the rest of the field. They were lapping pretty much everyone and came up to the back of Hunt's McLaren teammate at the time, Jochen Mass. Now, Mass was a little disgruntled. He already knew that he wasn't coming back to McLaren for 78. So kind of shut the door on Hunt. Hunt plowed into the back of him, sending Hunt out of the race while Mass continued. And in pure rage, Hunt jumped out of the car, punched an unsuspecting Marshall, and then proceeded to walk back to the pits on the track, waving his fist at Mass every single time he passed. Now, for the escapades, he received a $2,000 fine for punching a marshal in the face and a $750 fine for walking in an unsafe manner. 
when asked about the race, Hunt's own mother was quoted saying, he doesn't usually go around punching people, but he is very quick-tempered, especially when he's been driving. His final fine for the season came at the race in Japan, following the tragic events of Villeneuve's crash, where he finished that race on the podium, but didn't feel like it was the time for celebrating, so skipped out on the podium celebration, for which he was fined 20,000 pounds and concluded his eventful 77 season, where the press had had a field day with headlines like Hunt the Punch. And now going into 78, he's looking to shut them up, get his second title, and alongside him will be his new teammate, Patrick Tombe. Going into his first full season of F1, actually had a contract for Ferrari and would have been the replacement for Lauda had it not been for a last minute meeting with McLaren team boss, Teddy Mayer, who offered him a contract and he took it on the spot. Following that meeting, Tombe went down to meet with the old man himself, Enzo Ferrari, and apologized for not consulting them before taking the other offer. Enzo's response was telling him what a stupid decision he's made. He would have been world champion with Ferrari and would have made a lot more money too. But crucially, that left that seat open at Ferrari and Tombe went and told his good friend Villeneuve about the opening and told him to go out to Marinello to see the old man. And Villeneuve did, and to both their surprise, that actually worked. That wraps it up for McLaren, who has James Hunt and Patrick Tombe as their drivers for 78. That is our midfield. So now moving further towards the back of the grid, we have Walter Wolf Racing. Owned by Walter Wolf in their second year as a team, their driver is Jody Schechter, who's also in his second season at Wolf. He had a great 77 season, came in second overall, and definitely for a good reason. He was known for being a pretty aggressive driver. Walter Wolf said that when Jody closed in on you, you had two choices, get out of the way or get pushed out of the way. So he's going to be the only driver for Wolf and is looking to carry that momentum into 78. Our next team is Williams, owned by Frank Williams and Patrick Head. This was Frank's second attempt at starting an F1 team. In the early 70s, he started Frank Williams racing cars, but sold a majority stake to Walter Wolf. The pair worked together, but they became increasingly unhappy with the partnership, and they split into two in 1977, forming Walter Wolf and Williams Grand Prix Engineering, which is the name that we all know today. Their driver is going to be Alan Jones. He's going into his fourth season of F1, but really caught the attention of Frank Williams at his first race win in the wet in Austria in 1977. And the fun story around that one is apparently the Austrian race organizers were not prepared to play the Australian national anthem and some drunk guy just ended up playing happy birthday on a trumpet. So Williams, another team with only one driver, Alan Jones. Moving right along, our next team is Ligier, owned by Guy Ligier, with their driver, the flamboyant Frenchman, Jacques Lafitte. He's going into his third year with the team, 
and he once had to withdraw from a Grand Prix because he mistook cleaning solution for eye drops and temporarily blinded himself. But in a little bit of redemption later on in his career, he is credited with the first all-French win in F1 for a French driver, manufacturer, and engine. Now, from an all-French team of Ligier and Lafitte to the all-Brazilian team, Fittipaldi. Sometimes known by the name of their main sponsor, Copper Sucar, the team is owned by brothers Wilson and Emerson Fittipaldi, with Emerson, a two-time world champion, pulling double duty for the team and driving as well. Fittipaldi won his two world titles earlier in the 70s with both Lotus and McLaren. He left a very competitive McLaren team in 76 to take over driving duties from his brother at Fittipaldi. He has yet to have the same success that he did earlier in his career, but the brothers are still looking to turn that around. Next up, we have Shadow. Owned by Don Nichols, they had a rough offseason and in rebuilding mode right now. One of their drivers, Alan Jones, left for Williams, and the other driver left with a few senior members of the team to form their own. This left Nichols with two open seats for 78, and his first new driver is former Brabham driver Hans Stuck. When racing for Brabham last season, Stuck was told that Lauda was likely to come in and it was looking like a Lauda and Watson pair for 78, but if he could win a race by the end of the season, he could keep the seat. And in comes the U.S. Grand Prix. Stuck got off to a commanding lead, but a broken clutch would eventually put him in the wall seal his fate, and Lauda and Watson would be confirmed for 78, leaving Stuck to find a drive here at Shadow. But at least for his teammate, he would have fan favorite Clay Regazzoni. Stuck said that for Regazzoni, his first question was never where are the cars, but where are the girls? He was a guy that was never really in it for the money. He had a stint at Ferrari, but was forced out in favor of Reutemann for 77, and had received an offer from Bernie to race at Brabham, but turned it down saying he wanted to, quote unquote, race with nice people. So that wraps up Shadow with their drivers, Hans Stuck and Clay Regazzoni. And next is the team that formed out of them, Arrows. Named based off of the last names of their owners, Franco Ambrosio, Alan Rees, Jackie Oliver, Dave Wass, and Tony Southgate, all left Shadow and formed Arrows. They also took former shadow driver Ricardo Patrese, who turned down a Williams drive in favor for the new Arrows team. Contracted to drive alongside him was Gunnar Nilsson, who tragically would never make it to a race for the team after being diagnosed with testicular cancer. And that brings us to the final team we're going to talk about, which is Renault. Now, the thing to note about Renault is they are the first team to introduce turbochargers into F1 during the 77 season. But they had a pension for blowing up and became the laughing stock of the paddock during the season. And Ken Tyrrell famously dubbed it the yellow teapot when the bright yellow car drove past him pouring out steam. And their driver is Jean-Pierre Jabouille, which is an awesome name who was chosen for the drive after helping them develop the turbocharger in their sports car team. 
that wraps up the back of the grid teams. And it is important to know F1 nowadays is much different than it was back then. There oftentimes were a lot more teams and drivers than spots on the grids. So the rest of the teams, I'm not going to go through them. Typically, if they actually manage it onto the grid, they don't make much of an impact. But one story of note is Davina Gallica. She was an Olympic skier who got her start after an impressive showing at a celebrity auto race. And to this point, she is the third woman to be classified in an F1 race, but has yet to qualify and start a race and is looking to do that this season. Okay, and that wraps up all of the drivers and teams. The last section I have for you today is some changes on the rules and regulations front. There are a couple new safety regulations from the FIA, the governing body of F1. This is the first year they are going to have an official race doctor, Sid Watkins. The next change was an increase in the fuel tank size. Previously, it had been 80 liters, which meant the teams had to spread three separate tanks around the car. And having those fuel tanks on the side had previously led to some of the more spectacular fires, like the one that nearly took Lauda's life. So this was actually a request from Lotus and the FIA approved. Next, we have tires. Since 74, Goodyear had pretty much been the sole supplier of tires for F1 and was focusing on bringing the same compounds for all of the teams. But in looking for some sort of competitive advantage, Ferrari hired Michelin so that they could work closely with them and develop tires specifically for their car, which instigated a tire war between Michelin and Goodyear. And the final thing is this is going to be the first year that revolutionary ground effect cars will be introduced. And I will attempt to explain it more as we go, but in the simplest terms, it sucks the car to the ground, which gives the car higher downforce, meaning that they can take turns faster. And that is officially everything you need to know going into the 1978 season. So if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. You can also support the show at patreon.com backslash relapsed. Any support at all is very much appreciated. And if you want to follow the show, you can do that at relapsedf one on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow my personal Twitter where I talk about present day F1 at Deanna Relapped. If you have any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to get in touch with me. You can DM me on Instagram or Twitter or email the show at relapsedf one at gmail.com. And I want to give a special shout out to the Outlap F1 podcast who had me on for their Tuscan Grand Prix race review. So if you're coming here from them, welcome. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't, please go give them some support. Go listen to the show. You can find them at Outlap F1 podcast. We did it. We made it. We're done with episode one, and I will see you next week for part one of the 1978 season.